Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Here on Money FM 89.3, I'm Clarissa Monter for the workday afternoon today on Health Suites. Genomics, big data, and supercomputers are changing the way pharmaceutical companies think about diseases and drugs. Genomics allows them to understand diseases such as cancer at a fundamentally deeper level than ever before. We find out more coming up next on Money FM 89.3. Health Suites with Clarissa Montero on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Health Suites on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero for the workday afternoon to learn more about the upheaval in the pharmaceutical industry that genomics, big data, and targeted therapies are creating and how it is a game changer in cancer treatment. We are joined on the phone today by Dr. Vincent Ruland, country division head, Bayer Pharmaceutical, Malaysia, Singapore, and Brunei. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Clarissa. Thanks for having me. Absolutely our pleasure. Now, maybe we jump right in. What are the advantages of a personalized targeted therapy compared to chemotherapy for cancer? Yeah, sure. I think it's a very important question, and I think you said it already, the word personalized, right? So back in the day, we used to look at cancer cells and just throw everything at them we had in the arsenal, but of course, Cells are very similar to each other, the healthy ones and cancer cells, so you would also hit healthy cells with traditional chemotherapy. With targeted therapy, that's very different because you're able to pick out exactly what drives uh, the tumor or the cancer growth and hit that specifically, uh, and you save basically the impact on healthy cells. Okay, now I suppose the next question should be how is that done? Target. you know, that possible targeting personalized and targeted medicines. How do you do that? How much research is going into this? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, you alluded to it. It's sort of the intersection between uh, computing power, expertise uh, in science, and also trial and error. So, for example, we in our company, we have this, I guess it's a tennis field size warehouse that's a couple of meters high, where you just store, you know, different chemical compounds. And the traditional way of doing research has been that once you identify a certain cancer and what drives it, you just throw these thousands and thousands of chemicals at it and see what sticks, basically. Today, with computing power and and better programs, we can predict which molecules are more likely to impact a certain cancer, and we can be much more specific about testing those than in the laboratory. So that's really the, the basis of getting to these innovations in the market. But then, of course, you, you, this goes through very many iterations because it also relies on a very good basic science, right? Because, like I said, you have to understand what drives a certain tumor in the first place. And cancer, although, you know, we sequenced the, germ, uh, the human genome already 20 years ago, we still are, I would say, only around 5% there when it really comes to understanding the genome. So it's a lot of trial and error but I think we are making strides now with increased computing power. Okay, so let me understand this. Isn't that what chemotherapy used to be? You throw a ton of things at it and hope something sticks. Exactly, but back in the day, you did that in actual patients, right? right? Um, Because you had uh, drugs like methotrexate that were very toxic, and because they were so toxic, cancer cells who reproduce very fast would get hit by them, of course, Mm -hmm. but normal cells also reproduce, you know, like in the intestine. So you you would have an issue. Today, when we test these in the lab, they are done in very good experimental models, right? So in artificial cell tissue, for example, or in early animal models. 
Okay, I'm trying to understand how supercomputers are used to identify these molecules and compounds with the potential to be developed into targeted drugs. Sure. So you have to think about any drug that interacts with the human body as sort of a key and keyhole mechanism. Mm -hmm. So uh, most proteins we see as sort of the keyhole, right? They have a certain mechanism, they, they function in a certain way, and you just need to find a key to either stop them from acting or enhance their activity. And back in the day, in order to find that out, you would have to test thousands and thousands of keys. So we in our database, I guess, have around 8 million different molecules, something like that. Today, you, you can model the, the molecule of the protein you want to target in a computer and then just run various formations of the key, what the key needs to look like in order to fit that specific molecule. And of course, you can do that a lot faster and a lot more cost efficient than you used to. All right. So it cuts the time is what you're saying. Yes, it, it cuts the time. It also gives you maybe avenues into type of molecules that you haven't considered previously because they may not be in your database, right? right. So computers are able to design their own molecules. Of course, then you still have the challenge of actually creating them in the real world, but at least you understand what could potentially unlock this keyhole that you're looking at. Okay, let's talk about oncogenic drivers of tumors identified so that the correct personal targeted therapy can be prescribed. Are we already there? Yeah, I, I think we're at the cusp, maybe. Um, so I actually trained as a, as a pathologist and I started in 2012 in the clinic. And back then we were still diagnosing tumors, 99% of the tumors based on histology, meaning what they look like, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Today, in, in, in the very you know, common forms of cancer, like breast cancer or lung cancer, virtually no patient receives a diagnosis without some sort of molecular genetic testing. So we are at the cusp. I'm saying at the cusp, we're not there yet because these are usually very specific tests. They're not what we would call whole genome sequencing, right, where you take the entire tumor genome and see what's going on in there. Uh, this is not done yet on a routine basis, one, because... It's, it's still very costly, although the costs are going down, but also because the, the amount of data uh, is just something that is very difficult to handle in a clinical practice on a day-to-day, -day, you know, in a hospital. Physicians have other things to do than look through mountains of data. So we really try to do our part in, in doing all that work up front and helping pathologies then, you know, test for the right things specifically. All right, we're speaking with Dr. Vincent Ruland, Country Division Head, Biopharmaceutical, Malaysia, Singapore, and Brunei. Let's talk about Bayer's new targeted drug, V-TRAC-V. How is this different from previous generations of cancer treatments? Yeah, sure. So previous generations of cancer treatments usually looked at where does the tumor come from, right? So is it breast cancer? Is it lung cancer, colon cancer? And then you would have something that would have been tested in that type of cancer. Now, that, of course, biologically speaking, doesn't have to make a lot of sense because tumors can harbor drivers that are similar no matter where the tumors come from. And this is where this new drug comes into play because it is uh, licensed for any type of tumor, no matter where the tumor comes from, as long as it harbors a specific type of mutation. And this is very new. So uh, this has only happened two or three times uh, in the market so far that it's a tumor agnostic therapy, right? So theoretically, it really doesn't matter what kind of tumor it is. So does that address an unmet need? Is it, is it a game changer, is it? 
it's it's definitely a game changer in terms of how we think about cancers, right? Because today, you know, if you have breast cancer, you go get treated at a breast cancer center. Mm -hmm. If you have colon cancer, you go get treated at a different center. But really, we have to start thinking around tumors in, in entities of what drives them genetically. And so in the future, we may have centers that focus on a certain type of genetic alteration rather than naming it after the body part it came from, right? So that's the game changer, let's say, on the clinical practice side. For the patients, of course, it's a game changer because the more personalized you can be in testing and finding what works for this patient, the more certainty you can give the patient around therapy. Um, when I was treating patients, and I guess myself being also a patient, the one thing that is, is very difficult is uncertainty in treatment. There's many therapies that work very well, but they only work very well in around 70% of the patients. And you never know whether you belong to the 30% where it may not work. Until you're actually taking the treatment. Correct, exactly. Um, because we just don't have a very good way of predicting for these, let's quote unquote, older treatments of whether they will work or not. And this is very different for these newer generations of treatment because you're specifically looking for this driver change in the genes. And if it's there, you have a very high certainty that the drug will also work. So does this potentially result in better outcomes for patients? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, of course, that's, that's the idea. That's why we are all, I mean, me and my colleagues work in this industry, right? Because we're going to increase the care of patients. I think that the industry has come a long way from trying to make drugs that, you know, are as good as what is in the market and, and, you know, making revenue with that to really trying to improve patient care. And this is an un, unserved need simply because many cancer patients are not treated in the optimal way simply because the therapies up to this date weren't as targeted as they could be. All right. Now, does the launch of V-TRAC-V actually indicate a new focus on cancer for biopharmaceuticals? Um, I think it doesn't indicate a new focus. So we, we, we've been active in oncology for quite a while. And I think also, you know, developing these kind of treatments takes a very long time. Um, so, but it does signal a bit maybe a, a, a different way of looking at it for the future, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, there, there are, you know, developments in the market, be it in immuno-oncology, which means sort of using the immune system to treat cancer or these very targeted approaches, um, that we are looking at and then we are increasing activity in that in that sector. Of course, one thing you may have heard is sort of these buzzwords around cell therapy and gene therapy. Yeah? And, and these will play a huge part in this as well because not only do they enable you to do research potentially differently and discover new things, but they also could act as treatments themselves in the future. So it's something that is part of our global strategy to focus on this more and hopefully in the next 10 to 15 years we will see very big difference in how patients are treated. So the nuance to that is, will there be more personalized medicines targeting different oncogenic drivers from bio in the future? Yeah, that's definitely something we, we're looking into, right? There's actually already a follow-up compound for vitrecvi uh, in the clinical trials. Um, it's something that I think serves a big benefit to patients, so it's something we're looking into. And of course, if you, if you talk about cell and gene therapy, by definition, these will be very targeted, right? Because you will have to understand which genetic change you want to potentially reverse, for example. Um, and I think we will see this more and more in the future, that patients maybe get more certainty, what type of tumor do I have, how specific is it? Of course, maybe one comment on that, the more specific you are and the more targeted you are, the less patients you will have, right? Which, which will require and change in how we look at regulatory pathway, pathways 
uh, and also how we do clinical trials, because it's likely that you will not just find 10,000 of patients that are similar anymore. And so it's something that we as an industry also have to change. Okay, I, I'm still kind of foggy on the whole concept of gene sequencing. Of course I am. It, it's not my wheelhouse. It's, it's yours. Is genome sequencing of tumors a standard procedure or does more need to be done to make next generation sequencing of tumor genomes more available, more understood by, at the end of the day, the doctors? Yeah, so I think it's a, it's a bit of a loaded question, right? Because a clinician would tell you that they only do the diagnostic test that actually can yield something that is relevant for the patient. So uh, in a clinical routine today, is it done uh, routinely? No, mm-hmm. right? Um, on average in most markets. I mean, Singapore is, is doing it more and more, than much more so than other countries. Right. It is done quite routinely in big academic centers that have research funding. Um, but the outcomes are usually then used for research. And if there's something uh, that comes up that is clinically relevant, of course, the clinicians are informed. But I think we have some more steps to go. Um, and it's you know up to us to show pathologists and the treating clinicians that there are many targeted therapies that will come to the market that make it worthwhile to holistically look at genes and not only test for specific changes. Okay, I suppose a, a practical, more practical question to someone like me or a potential patient is just how expensive would these new generation treatments be to a patient? Or is the plan to make them less expensive in the long run? Yeah, of course, the the traditional issue with cancer treatments that are new has always been cost. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, we were, you know, I think the industry is, is really aware of that at this point. Um, there are various ways to mitigate that in the market through, for example, excess schemes. Uh, um, but th- these, of course, come with a price, tra- price tag, uh, mm-hmm. to be honest, simply because the development of them is, is much more complex, simply because you're dealing with such a more specific uh, drug you're developing for potentially a smaller market. Right? Um, but I'm very certain that in the future, we as a pharma industry, insurance companies, and also healthcare systems will find better ways to, to make these available for more patients, because today, you know, the, the therapy we're talking about here, but also cell and gene therapies in the future is very much a high-income country conversation. And I think that's something that we need to change as an industry. Right. Okay. Now, before I let you go, do you want to look in your crystal ball and give us some predictions for the next big step in cancer treatment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if, if you talk about sort of what I would wish for, if I could, uh, is, of course, we will never be able to really... Um, be ahead of cancer if we don't prevent it or detect it really, really early, Mm -hmm. right? We will always be running behind the ball. And so one thing I have high hopes for is what is uh, sort of called uh, free circulating tumor DNA detection, which means that as soon as you have a handful only of cancer cells in your body, at some point they die and they release DNA into the system, into your bloodstream. And that is something you can potentially detect. And you can detect that type of cancer so, so much earlier than you can today with, you know, MRIs, for example. And that's something I have high hopes for, because potentially we will be able to detect cancer cells before they have a a significant form, and we can treat them and basically eradicate them in the future. So that's a big hope for me. I think that's on the horizon. There's much work being done there. Hopefully, we will see that in the next 10 to 15 years. Hopefully, sooner. (laughs) I'm Singaporean. I I, I want it all. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, we've seen with COVID, science can be very fast with the vaccines, but 
we do have to ensure that everything we do and that gets you know put through clinical trials is, is effective, yes, but also safe for patients, right? Absolutely. Because the first impairment of physicians is do no harm. So uh, that's why sometimes it, it takes time. All right. We've been speaking with Dr. Vincent Ruland, country division head, biopharmaceutical Malaysia, Singapore, and Brunei. Dr. Ruland, thank you for the fascinating insight. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Clarissa. Have a great day. I'm Clarissa Montero for the Workday Afternoon. This is Money FM 89.3, Singapore's most influential radio station. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.